Hi friends, welcome to episode 34 of Womankind. This is your host, Kelsey Novitz, and I'm here with my guest today, Maureen Darcy, who is my cousin and who is also a certified nurse midwife. Um, so we'll be hearing a lot from her today on that topic. Um, so hi Maureen, welcome. Hi, I'm glad to be here. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about what a midwife actually does. Well, uh, I have initials after my name called the Certified Nurse Midwife, so I'm going, have already gone, done nursing school, and then worked some, and then became a midwife. In many states, you have to be a Certified Nurse Midwife in order to work. Probably in about 25, maybe 26, it could be 28 now, you can be a Certified Professional Midwife, which means you've gone to school or you've been an apprentice to someone who is a midwife, and you don't have that nursing degree. But I opted, I first went to nursing school um, back in 1970, 1970 to 1973, and um, really didn't even know what a nurse midwife was at that time until I went and worked in West Virginia and then found out, or actually Kentucky, and found out what a nurse midwife does, and then felt kind of called to become one in the year 1979. Nice. So, yeah. So you were kind of on the path to becoming a midwife before you knew what a midwife really was? Yeah, I hadn't really, (laughs) when I was in nursing school, I did OB, and I loved OB, but it just wasn't something that kind of grabbed me. It was right at the time where Lamaze was becoming popular, Mm -hmm. but still women were a lot of times really drugged and not able to really fully participate, and fathers were not allowed in the room. When I finally went to midwifery school, because in about, oh, I think it was about 1977, I was working, I actually graduated from nursing school and went and became an orthopedic nurse and did orthopedics for about five years, then became a supervisor um, in a small rural community hospital where you had to know a little bit about everything. And one night I was called because there was no physician to deliver this baby. And it just kind of changed my whole world. I just was like, Wow, this was an amazing experience. The baby was totally born in the call, the bag of waters. Um, the mother was doing great. We had no IV. She just breathed her baby out. And I was like, this is how birth should be, and this is what I want to do. So I went to midwifery school in 1979, graduated in 80, and started doing home births and birth center births my entire life as a nurse midwife. Wow, that's amazing. Yep. So what is the difference between a midwife and, like, some of the other options that are out there for giving birth? Well, I think one thing about a nurse midwife is that nurse midwives usually value um, the fact that most women can birth their babies in a natural way, without an IV, without being hooked to a monitor, being able to walk around, eat and drink, wear their own clothes, Mm -hmm and decide how they want to have their baby. That does not negate those folks who choose to go into a hospital and have an epidural because it's a woman's choice to have her baby any way she wants to and with whom she wants to. But basically, I felt called to do more natural childbirth and out of the hospital where I had a little bit more control over the situation than having to follow hospital rules. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. So yeah. what are some of the benefits of I mean, you just mentioned some of them, but are well, there more? I think for women who want to have a home birth or a birth center birth, they have um, they take a little bit more responsibility for their care and for their health. So usually, women who are opting either to have home or birth center births are relatively healthy. 
don't smoke, don't do drugs, um, don't, you know, once they're pregnant are giving up alcohol. They're usually eating pretty well and trying to exercise. They can be from all walks of life. Um, they can have insurance or no insurance. They can be Medicaid. They can be self-pay. But it's basically, I think, women who are called to this kind of birth, who innately just feel like, yes, I can do this, and I don't want to be in a situation where I have loss of control. And I think that's what it comes down to, wanting to have the control and not having to be constricted by a four-letter word, which is time. Because when you're in a hospital, there's only so many hospital beds, and people have to move, and after a certain time, it's like, well, we need to do this, and you might need to be induced and get an um, Pitocin, and then you might need an epidural. And a lot of times, if you're in the hospital and you're on a monitor, if the hospital doesn't have telemetry, which means you can get up and walk around with the monitor, then you're stuck in bed. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look in nature, no animal usually lays down until the very end. They're up, they're walking around. Mm -hmm. They've made their little nest or their little space in their area where they're going to give birth. And I think that's important for women to have. Mm -hmm. Now, is this something that you were just kind of like educated along the way about? Well, when I went to midwifery school, I went to midwifery school at the State University of New York in downstate. Mm -hmm. And at that time, one of the first birth centers opened in New York City. So I had the exposure of, of meeting Ruth oh, wow. Lubick, who opened it, and it was the first birth center. It was an old brownstone, had marble staircases. It was just beautiful. And I thought, yeah, this is the way I want to deliver mm -hmm. babies. I had an opportunity to be with a really good friend to help with her home birth. Um, my husband and I went down to West Virginia and assisted with their birth. And it was like, no, this makes sense. This is how I want to do things, too. Mm -hmm. So when I got out of midwifery school, we moved down to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, where I still live. And there weren't a lot of options for midwives at the time, but mm -hmm. there was a brand-new birth center that had just opened up. was not a freestanding birth center. It was in the hospital, but it was in a small rural hospital that had just one family practice physician who was delivering babies, but that was about it. So they had this whole OB floor. They had a four-bed ward, two four-bed wards, a number of um, regular private rooms, and then they had a delivery room that was the old-fashioned delivery room that you would labor in your room and then get taken back to this all-tiled room. Mm -hmm. um, at the opposite end, they had surgery. And two very good friends of mine, the Linda Glenn, and Debbie Stanford started this birth center in this hospital. They got a pediatrician to help back them up. And they started um, revitalizing this whole floor and made it into a birth center. So they took the two four-bed wards, made it into two birthing rooms, big double beds, a couch, chairs. Um, everything was in there to make it look more like home. You know, it was wallpapered. Mm -hmm. You can get up, walk around. You could go to the bathroom. You could go get in the water in the tub or the shower. You can eat and drink. And when a position opened for them soon after we moved there, it was for helping with um, home births. Um, started doing that and then got a job with them a year later. So mm -hmm. my whole career has been more in grounded in natural childbirth, mm -hmm. either at home or in a birth center. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, it doesn't work for everybody, but it's something that I am very much involved in and want to make sure folks always have this option to have. Mm -hmm. It's really so, important for women to always have options. They shouldn't mm -hmm. be funneled into one little mm -hmm. corner to have their baby or so. They should be able to do whatever they want when it comes to having their babies.
Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's a pretty life-changing event. Yeah, I would say so. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but So what happens if there is, like, an emergency situation mm -hmm. um, as you know, people with, are giving birth in that situation? In most states, a nurse midwife is going to have um, backup with a physician, mm -hmm. whether it's a signed contract or an agreement that we can't function as physicians. Mm -hmm. We can do normal childbirth. We can assist with vac with forceps. Some nurse midwives are trained to do vacuums. We cannot do C-sections. So when a mother, all the options have been exhausted or there's um, an issue that the baby really needs to come out mm -hmm. and it's detrimental for the baby to continue labor, then we're going to need to do a C-section. And we can't do that. So by having someone that you can have this relationship with, that you can take the mom in, and say, you know, we've been laboring this mom and this is what's happening and there are some issues here when we may need some assistance and to have that with a physician so that we're working in a real collegial manner, mm -hmm. not being against each other because what we have to offer is something that's very, very important. And you don't see a lot of physicians working in birth centers or doing home births. Mm -hmm. It just takes a lot of time and effort and you can't have the number of folks that you would have coming to the hospital when you're working in a birth center or doing home births. Mm -hmm. So talk to me about C-sections a little bit. You said you're not able to perform them, but there are a huge number <coughs> that are performed. So Yeah, in the United I States, we have a really one of the highest rates of C-sections mm -hmm. in the world. Um, and it's basically, I think... Um, because we're in a hurry, we don't realize how long some women need to take to have a baby. Mm -hmm. The American College of um, Obstetricians has just really come out with something saying, yeah, it may take longer for women to have their babies. You hate to see women who are in pain, but but by the fact that labor's called labor and it's not a picnic, there is mm -hmm. going to be pain. Um, and there's all different ways of, de of dealing with that pain. But I think a lot of C-sections in the United States are just done because folks are in a hurry. There might not be a real need to do them. And I think the American College of Physicians of OBGYNs is coming out that we really need to drop this um, rate. We're up to like anywhere from, in some places, a high 30s to 40, and in some places, 50%. Oh, wow. That is too much. We're trying to get somewhere between 15 and 20 before. And when I started in midwifery school, we thought 15 was high. Um, and now it's like, you know, 30 to 40% of women coming in, um, in some hospitals, not all, but, um, we all have known folks who have kind of said, oh, well, you know, it's getting late. Why don't we just do a C-section now? Um, and that's not the norm, but it does happen. I think any nurse midwife can say that that's happened at some point. So we just need to step back and really look at the harm we're doing for these C-sections because now we know the more C-sections a woman has, the more issues there can be where the placenta grows, there can be issues with bleeding. It really impacts a woman's life after that first C-section. Mm -hmm. So we try very, very hard to make sure that the folks that come to us don't need a C-section. And in our birth center, our rate of having a C-section is 9% for everyone who comes to us. Now, 25% of women who come to birth centers historically throughout time, and if you're going to a birth center, 
25% of women are not going to be able to deliver at a birth center. Half of those women are going to go out before they even have the baby. There could be an issue with the baby that they shouldn't be delivering at home or in a birth center. Or something can crop up for them, like preeclampsia, where they have high blood pressure. That it's like, no, this is not good and you shouldn't do this at home. The other 12% in labor at a birth center or at home will really will usually have to transfer in because of a need for basically either failure to progress, they've gotten to a point and nothing's happening. So now we're going into the hospital to get the things that they didn't want, um, the monitor, the epidural, and the Pitocin to enhance their labor. But it really does seem to drop the amount of C-sections or so. So to me, starting in an out-of-hospital center just seems to really help lower the C-section rate too. Mm-hmm. So, And I think historically across the whole United States, um, I work with the American Association of Birth Centers, and I'd say that most birth centers are probably under 15% and closer to um, either a single digit or 10%. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, we are choosing low-risk women, but I think if we were to show low-risk women in the hospital, I think we still are going to come out better with lowering the C-section mm-hmm. rate. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um so this is a more personal question, mm-hmm. but you have children. Yes. And how did you deliver your children? Well, fair <laughs> question. My first baby was born at home. I was doing home birth, and I felt like if I was really trusting home birth and really making sure the women who opted to have a home birth were prepared for it and the repercussions if something went wrong, that if I was going to the birth, that I should be able to have a home birth. Um, so my partner delivered me at home. Um, my, I started a labor at five in the morning, um, had been laboring some through the night and had my daughter at about five or six o'clock that night. Um, and really had to work hard. That's why I say, yes, labor is labor because it's not a picnic. (laughs) There is pain involved, but if you're able to get up, move around, I had the free rain to go in and out of my house, to sit on the toilet, get in the shower, do whatever I want, and I think that made a very big difference. My second baby, um, my partner wasn't helping doing home birth, so I went into the birth center and had a baby there. And then my third baby, I was planning to have in a birth center, but nothing interferes with my vacation, and I go to a beach in North Carolina. (laughs) And unfortunately, this was kind of a surprise baby, and he was going to be born when when we were going to the beach. So I made arrangements just in case something happened to have him in a hospital. So usually women do it opposite. They'll have a hospital birth and then maybe try a birth center birth and then go home birth. I went the opposite way. (laughs) I did a home birth, a birth center birth, and then I had to go into the hospital because there wasn't any other option. But we had as close as we could come to a birth center birth. We were in a little hospital that doesn't exist now in Wilmington, North Carolina. And my mother, my father, my sister, my kids, my best friend... We're all there helping my husband and I have Alec, and we had um, a wonderful physician who turned out knew my mother from Buffalo General Hospital. He had gone to um, med school there, and we actually were at the beach all day, and I was floating in the water thinking, well, maybe I'm in labor, maybe I'm not. Oh, we'll wait and see. The kids dug a big hole for me. Um, so I could rest on the beach on my stomach, and we thought maybe we um, hatched out Mr. Alec that day because when I got up and couldn't walk into the house, it was like, oh, my goodness, we're in labor. So we drove in. It was 6 o'clock, about 6.15. We went in. 
Um, got in the car, drove the 45 minutes to the hospital, could barely make it out of the car, and Alec was born 15 minutes after we got to the hospital. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so and we kind of blew the hospital away because everybody was in the room. Um, my oldest daughter took the baby right away and helped clean him up and do his diaper, and my middle child at the time, they were 9 and 5, um, he cut the cord. And, um, you know, my a daughter subsequently had four babies at my birth center, and my son and his partner had a baby in a birth center with a midwife too. So my my making those choices influenced how they saw babies mm-hmm. being born, and they chose the exact same way to have their kids. So I'm quite proud of that. Influence the next generation. Uh, I'm trying to influence <laughs> the next generation. That's right. So speaking of that, do you have any advice for people who are looking to get pregnant and or people who are pregnant who are trying to come up with a birth plan and really mm-hmm. looking for where to go and what to do? Yeah, I think a lot of women really have to look to their family and see how comfortable they feel with natural birth or out-of-hospital birth. Um, there are some folks that, uh, some women just like to go in kind of, this is a strong word, abdicate to the physician or midwife that's going to be there and just let them run the show. And there are women who want you to step back and they want to make the decisions. They'll ask for your involvement. And those are the women who are choosing um, out-of-hospital birth. So to me, it's they have to look at how they've done their whole life up until this point and how comfortable they felt with using natural remedies or if a, if a woman had really bad menstrual cramps, did she depend on medication or were there other things that she might have used or so? So most women who choose, I mean, they are really self-selecting mm-hmm. when it comes to the birth. I think folks have it ingrained in them from the time maybe they're in school, whatever they see, their siblings born or stories that they hear and um, then make their decisions. And unfortunately, a lot of that sharing doesn't happen anymore, and, and folks don't hear about their mother's birth or their sister's birth or anything, or they've never even seen a birth, mm-hmm. and they're afraid of it. I mean, it's a perfectly natural thing to do. Yes, we definitely need physicians to be available to help, but nurse midwives and certified professional midwives are there to help out if you're choosing to have this kind of birth. So... I think you have to, a woman has to look historically how she's lived her life and she'll choose, she'll search us out um, when she wants to have an out-of-hospital birth or so. Mm-hmm. Now, is there a certain demographic that you serve or is this, is it, can it be for anyone except for, as you spoke about, like women who are at risk? Yeah. No, basically birth centers and home birth are for folks, for, excuse me, for folks who, all demographics, all walks of life. Um, our population at our birth center is about 30% Medicaid. Um, we have about 10% women of color. We would like more women of color to come to our birth center. I think that's something we're working hard. We're having starting black moms groups so they can realize that yes, women of color do have babies at birth centers. Um, We take self-pay. We take anybody who really wants to be there and comes for the tour and understand what it's going to mean to come to the birth center, Mm -hmm. that there's taking an amount of of, um, self-responsibility, that they're going to take care of themselves and that we're here to guide them, but we're not here to tell them how to do things. So I really like the book Our Bodies, Ourselves, because I think it treats women as thinking beings 
And that's the book I highly recommend, Our Bodies, Ourselves, Pregnancy for Women, so they can really know what their options are so they can make a choice with their partner either way. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of birth centers, um, you know, we cater to anyone who wants to come to us. Mm-hmm. So whether you're black, white, Hispanic, um, we have a lot of lesbian couples. Um, we are working with transgender couples. It's like if this is what you want and you understand um, what it means to come to a birth center or home birth, you've really done your research, then, you know, we give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Now, let's hear some crazy birth stories. Do you have any that you can think of? Oh, you know, there's always somebody that says, no, I'm not in labor, I'm not in labor. And then they come in, and they're, I'm like, well, yeah, you are, and there's a head right here, and you just need to push it out. Or, you know, you don't see this as much, but when, I think because, well, teenage pregnancy is definitely dropping down, thank goodness, and women have options to prevent pregnancy, but there was always be in my earlier years a teenager who showed up and who had no idea they were having a baby. And that, lots of times, was just really heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they knew and they were just in denial. Who knows? But those were, mm-hmm. you know, some of the heartbreaking stories. But then when I look at our birth center and I see the family involvement and kids coming to the birth, um, every birth is special when you're this, when you're doing it this way. And I probably attended about... Well, I started counting them up a few days ago, and I got up to 3,000. That's how um, many babies you've delivered? Yes. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. But I've been doing this for wow. about 38 years now, yeah. since 1980. Um, and there's, you know, midwives who have delivered a lot more. When you're working in a birth center, you don't get the volume that you might get in a big inner city hospital or so. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, with those births, we're pretty much with you from start to finish. So... A lot of those births go, especially if you're doing it at home, might be 24, mm-hmm. 36, 48 hours long because we give women time to have their babies mm-hmm. when they're ready. And that's one of the biggest things. Women mm-hmm. need, need more time. And a hospital just can't do that, right? You know, it's just that they need to have that turnover of beds, and they try, but it's a little difficult. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, this is, I don't know if necessarily that this is super related, but do you work with doulas? Yes. Or does that... We encourage women to bring doulas, to bring whoever Mm -hmm. they want in their labor. I love when doulas can go out to their home and really kind of assist with early labor. And then when they might go home with them and do a postpartum doula too. But our birth center really um, encourages women to bring doulas Mm -hmm. if it's their first baby. And especially since in our neck of the woods, so many folks don't have family anymore. We're such a transient um, population now that women don't have family mm-hmm. members around. So that doula, someone that they can meet months before the baby's born, develop some rapport, know where they live, and can come out and help, are very, very important. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But, you know, our birth center, you can bring a doula, you can bring your partner, you can bring your parents, you can bring whoever you want to the birth. Mm-hmm. We try to say to people... You don't want to bring too many people because <laughs> this is not a an event where you have to perform. It's an Olympic event, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you need to be prepared, and you need to be well-rested and well-fed, mm-hmm. and it's not a drama where other people are going to come in and out, so you have to feel how you're going to... Um, how you're going to accept when other people are in the room, and you might be in a little compromised position or 
having a little difficulty with breathing through contractions or so, but it's pretty much open to whoever wants to come to the birth. Nice. Well, now I'm thinking of you with Alex's birth and mm-hmm. everybody around. Oh, and- yeah, my mother and father. My father had never seen a birth, and I think that's why he was so close to my youngest son mm-hmm. um, and my mother, too. She was not able to come to my first birth. The second birth, um, my middle son, Max, came early, and two weeks early, and they had already, she and my grandmother had a plane trip already arranged, so it was like, just come when you can. But it was very convenient that this baby came a little mm-hmm. early, the last baby came early too when we were all on vacation, mm-hmm. because we pretty much, pretty much went into the hospital, had the baby, got out in four hours, and went back on vacation. So my grandmother, the baby's great-grandmother, was waiting for us, and the next day, we had a beautiful picture taken of all the kids who were at the beach, the oldest to the youngest, and there, and the youngest was holding the new baby who was born that night. That's amazing. So, <laughs> yep. That's yep, really Still special. have that picture. Love to look at it. <laughs> so that would have been four Ooh. generations or five? Let's four. see. In that, let's see, there was one, two, three... Four generations. There was my grandmother, my mother, myself, and then the grandkids. So we mm-hmm. were on the fourth generation. Amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so kind of a, a more serious question. Are, I, I guess I just want your perspective. Are, is what you do under attack currently? Um, I wouldn't say under attack currently, We've probably always been in a position that some people accept what we do and some folks don't. There are some physicians who are very threatened by what we do and others who seem to think, no, this is all teamwork. The United States does not have one of the um, best infant mortality or maternal mortality rates. In fact, our maternal mortality rates are going up. We've kind of stabilized our infant mortality, but we still are significantly higher than European uh, countries that use midwives in the majority of the time. Mm -hmm. There are less numbers of OBs, more midwives. They work as a team. The nurse midwives are in attendance at either the hospital or maternity homes or at home births. And when a physician is needed, then they come in. They pretty much abdicate the low-risk births to the midwives or so. It's not quite that way in the United States. Mm -hmm. So we have areas where we are working hard, especially in our state, North Carolina, to look at nurse midwives getting out from being supervised by physicians, which means basically we can't practice unless a physician signs for us. So... We are looking to open up our state law so that we can work in a collegial manner with a physician because a lot of physicians see having to sign on a piece of paper as threatening, and they don't want to do that. They feel there will be more liability if they sign on, and we want to get away from that. The nurse midwife should be responsible for the women that can be taken care of by her. And if she's working in a higher risk situation and she's working with a physician, then that should be a real teamwork Mm -hmm. position. So we're still working hard in this state to really be accepted. We're trying to grow midwifery, Um, whether you're a CNM or a CPM. Some states are doing better than others. Um, We have our work cut out for us. It's been a long haul since the early 1900s to really be accepted. (laughs) Wow. I mean, when I became a nurse midwife, my mother was a nurse, and she knew 
about midwives, but had never really heard about nurse midwives, that I could actually go to school to be a midwife. Um, and I think that was hard for her to accept that, you know, what are you doing? And is this going to be something that's accepted? But after I finished school and she saw what we were doing and she realized that, yeah, there were nurse midwives working all over the United States, um, maybe not in Buffalo at that time. In fact, I don't think there were any midwives working in Buffalo back in the early mm-hmm. 70s. Um, but, you know, Buffalo's come a long way, too, because now there's lots of nurse midwives. There's a freestanding birth center. There are nurse midwives who do home births, so there's lots of options here, mm-hmm. which is great because that's what we need. We need options for women's health care, mm-hmm. period. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And you just answered my next question because I, a lot of my listeners are in Buffalo, so yeah. I was going to ask what the options were here. And Well, you know, I don't know all of them, but you do have a freestanding birth mm-hmm. center, and I know that you have nurse midwives that are doing um, home births. I don't have their numbers right now, but I know that my niece is working for one right now who's doing home births, and there seems to be a fair amount of options for women to deliver. I guess here right now, the number one place to have a baby is, is um, children or the Buffalo General or Children's Hospital because they're together, and that's where I think deliveries occur. But I think there's a lot of nurse midwives that work in different hospitals here now, and it's something that's really growing. Mm-hmm. And I think the important thing to also know about nurse midwives is we just don't deliver babies, that we do complete well-woman health care from the time a young girl might start her period, come to you for a sports physical, through menopause and beyond. We have young women who are coming to our birth center that were born at the birth center because our birth center that I'm in right now has been up and running for, it'll soon be 23 years. So we have 22-year-olds who have come to the birth center since they've been 14 or 15 for care. Mm -hmm. So they think of the birth center as being normal. Mm -hmm. They were born here. This is where they come for care. This is where women can come and have their baby, but they can also come for primary health care, for birth control, for um, menopause care, for sports physicals, for period um, issues, for the flu, for earaches. Um, Our practice has both nurse midwives and family nurse practitioners working together. And even though we don't have independent practice in North Carolina, we essentially do um, act independently because we're in the birth center, our Women's Birth and Wellness Center, but there's no physician on site. We do have phone capability if we have questions or so, and we have a physician on site for about two hours once a week to go over our questions and everything, but we're functioning pretty independently. And it's really nice to see some of the women who were born at the birth center now come in and have their babies at the birth center because they're like, well, yeah, my mother did it here. Why wouldn't I? And I think that's what, you know, my daughter thought, well, you did it. I can do it. And she had four babies Mm -hmm. in the birth center. So... So it really is just like comprehensive care it's for your comprehensive whole life. It's <laughs> for your whole life, primary health care, well-woman care, you know, based on making sure um, we're eating right, we're exercising, we're really taking care of ourselves. Because we know that most women take care of everybody else, but they don't take care of themselves. Mm-hmm. And I think as nurse midwives, that's what we try to promote, that women are given the tools to take care of themselves, Mm -hmm. that nothing's off limit. They can call us and ask us anything. We're here to help them. We're not here to tell them what they have to do. We're here to tell them what their options are, and I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Definitely. You know, it's not my birth. It's your birth, and I want you to give give you the birth of your dreams to the best of my capability. 
On the other hand, I'm not God, and I don't know what's going to happen. But I want to lead you down a path that you make the right decisions and that you attempt to get the birth that you want, and the majority of folks will get it. And if they don't, it's not anything to do with their fault. It's just the way things happen, and that hopefully they're going to be happy if we had to do a C-section, because I think when folks come to midwives, they know that we're going to try everything we possibly can until there's no other options, and we really need to do the C-section. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why we have such a great rate of mm-hmm. C-sections. Healthy moms, healthy babies, and low rates of C-sections. Oh, definitely. Mm-hmm. Now, this is going to be my last question about um, midwifery. Um, so I think a lot of people kind of have this idea of, like, water births Do you, mm-hmm. from, like, the Kardashians. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I would not use the Kardashians <laughs> for, you know, actual water births, because I never saw the episode there. But we do water births at our birth center. Mm-hmm. We have been doing... Um, water births for 23 years and even before I ran another birth center for 11 years and worked in it um, we used immersion in water we weren't delivering babies in the water but you could get in the shower and you can get in the tub and we jokingly call it aquadurals and instead Mm -hmm. of an epidural getting in the water lightening the load being able to turn around and float in the water really makes a difference Mm -hmm. and new information has come out from the American College of Nurse Midwives that there really is no harm in having the baby in water. There are Mm -hmm. things that you need to look at and be aware of, and when somebody says, no, you need to get out of the water, then you might need to get out. But that basically, I would say probably 90% of women at our birth center are in the water or the shower at some point, and anywhere is in one month, it could be 30 to 50% of women Mm -hmm. delivering in the water. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And so are there any benefits to that? Well, I think it really, like I said, lightens the load for a mom in labor. She gets in the water, she's floating, she feels better. That total body immersion helps Mm -hmm. her feel lighter and just makes the contractions easier to deal with. Oh, interesting. I never thought of it that Mm -hmm. way. Yep. And then the baby's just fine. The baby just comes right The baby's going to come out in the water, head, shoulders. We want the whole body to come out, and then Mm -hmm. the the baby comes right up to the mother, Mm -hmm. and the mother will hold the baby with the head out of the water. A lot Mm -hmm. of times water birth babies are a little bit slower to take that big deep breath mm-hmm. in because they just came out of warm water into warm water. Mm-hmm. They're not that big shock if you're having a land birth on the bed. And they will be looking around and have a great heartbeat and great respiratory rate, but they might stay a little bit bluer for a while because they're not taking in that big deep mm-hmm. breath. Okay. Um, but they do absolutely fine. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I've never known anyone who had a water Mm -hmm. birth before. Yep. Well, they weren't doing them when I had my kids, but I spent a lot of time Mm -hmm. in the shower. Well, actually, with my last baby, I mean, I was floating in the ocean for most of the day. (laughs) And then it was like, am I in labor or not? And it was like, oh, yeah, I am. Time to go. (laughs) All right, Maureen, we're going to get into some more personal questions now. Um, So the first question I usually ask my guests is, what's your story? And so you've told us a little bit about you already, Mm -hmm. but is there anything you'd like to add about your background or where you come from? You know, I grew up in a family of four kids. My mother was a nurse. My father was a mechanic. Um, I would say we had a typical um, middle-class life. Um, Both my parents worked, so we were used to having parents who, I mean, parents did there weren't any defined jobs my father my mother worked nights so my father cooked breakfast for us he could cook lunch and dinner he knew how to do the laundry 
Um, I don't think my mother would go out and mow the lawn, but she worked nights and was available to do stuff during the day and everything. Um, I went to Catholic school growing up, St. Amelia's, went to Catholic school, Holy Angels, that's no longer Mm -hmm. around. But I think my education at Holy Angels really gave me exposure to there were a lot of folks out there that didn't have what I had. There were a lot of folks who might have had more, but there were a lot of folks who had less. And I was in the sodality for four years and had the good fortune to meet a nun who really took some of us out every summer to work in the migrant camps in Albion. And we would take care of the kids of the migrant farmers and get them lunch and do minor first aid and teach them and everything. And her, I think I did that for two two summers, spent a couple weeks doing that. It re- really made me have a different impression of the world. And then going on to nursing school, I really wanted to work um, in Appalachia. I had read books by a woman called Lois, I'm going to blank on her name now, but she wrote a book called Strawberry Girl. Mm -hmm. And I had read all her books, and a lot of them took place up in the mountains, and I always wanted to go to practice in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere. So right out of nursing school, I did get a job in a small rural hospital in Princeton, West Virginia, where essentially when I started, there was one RN and all the other nurses were LPNs, and I came on as the head nurse and learned orthopedics pretty quickly Mm -hmm. because the physician that was working there at the time said, you're going to be my junior resident, and you're going to make rounds with me, and this is what we're going to do, and I'm going to teach you how to do all these things. And that was really great. It was in Princeton, West Virginia. I took care of a lot of minors, really got to appreciate the life of minors mm-hmm. and the um, harm that could come to them working in the coal mines when they lost an arm or a leg or both legs because of timber falling in or a mine disaster. Um, it really kind of opened my eyes to occupational hazards that people had when they worked and what it meant to your family when then you couldn't work anymore and then also looking at minors who had black lung so I worked in this hospital for about five years and then joined a group called the Jesuit Volunteer Corps which is kind of I describe it as a Catholic VISTA where and some folks might not know VISTA it was kind of like a American Peace Corps Mm -hmm. volunteers in service to America And I joined the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and got sent to a small 30-bed hospital in Martin, Kentucky, where there were three of us volunteering, and each one of us was head nurse at a different time, day, night, and evening. And I learned a lot there, just really living in a very, um, an area that there was a lot of poverty and a lot of need, but also had... Some of the most dynamic music, I love bluegrass and mountain music, and just learned a lot about canning and farming and um, taking care of animals, and it just really affected my life a lot. In fact, that one year in the Jesuit Volunteer Corps was probably one of the best years of my life. I lived with eight women. We were all either nurses or teachers. Everybody had different jobs. We lived back in a holler where we had no TV and no telephone or radio. We made our own fun. We would have baking nights. And I still keep in contact 
with those folks. They really changed my whole life. Um, when I finished with that, I went up and spent a year in Maine in a small little hospital in Damariscotta where they had an alternative birth center and then started midwifery school in 1979. In the meantime, I met my husband through the Jesuit Volunteer Corps and we both had, I think, real needs to be able to do something that we could share the work that we did with other folks. So um, he supported me in my life as a nurse midwife, and I supported him when he decided to go to medical school and do occupational medicine. So we both have um, our life kind of rotates around health. Um, he has a little steadier job during the day. I had been doing nights and holidays, so our kids got to know their father very well <laughs> because, you know, there were weekends they never saw me, and it was Daddy who took care of them. And I'm very proud of my kids now because they all live lives where they're um, very, they've explored. Um, my boys know how to cook and clean, and my daughter um, has five kids. My middle son has one. Um, my youngest son has been living in a van for a number of years, traveling across the United States with a bike company. Um, they're very strong kids. They know how to take care of themselves. And um, I'm very, very proud of them. And I think it's because some of the life choices that we did and the kind of work that we did, they understood that there were sometimes mom couldn't come because she made a commitment to a woman and they weren't all bent out of shape about it. It was just... You know, I was a midwife before I had kids, so they don't know any different. It was like, mm -hmm. Mom had to go to work, and she's not here, but okay, that's okay. Dad's here, and we're going to do this, and, you know, we're going to do that. And um, I think it just made for a very strong family, and I'm very proud of them, and glad we all opted to kind of follow our path to mm -hmm. what we really wanted to do in our life. No, you should be very proud. You're, I can vouch for every single one of your kids. <laughs> they go after what they want and are not afraid to. Nope, they're which not. Which I admire. Yeah, yeah. Greatly. So, just wish they lived closer. Yeah. <laughs> so, but, yep. So, now, this is the, the womankind question. Yeah. Maureen, what does it mean to you to be a woman in 2018? I think for me to be a woman in 2018 means I should be able to be a man in 2018. There should be nothing that should be denied to me, that whatever I want to be, I should be. You know, If I wanted to be an astronaut or I see kids that want to be astronauts or plumbers or electricians, why shouldn't a woman do that? You know, I'm waiting for a woman president. I sorely think we need Aren't a woman president. <laughs> yes, I think... Um, that, that we need to do that. When you look at European countries where women have been leading nations for a long time, it's like, what's our problem here? Mm -hmm. What are we afraid of? What are we so concerned about that we can't give women the right to have everything that a man has? I think we're doing better, but there's still a lot of stuff that we need to change. Um, but a woman should have a right to do to go to school, to live her life the way she should, to decide how many kids she should have or not have, to be able to choose her life no matter how she wants to do it. And I think I've tried to do that, and I've tried to instill that in all the women that I've met, that it's like, it's yours. You just have to go after it, and you just have to have a backbone, and you have to decide to do it, and then go forward, and it'll work out. You'll get it. You'll get it. That's great advice. So what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Well, I certainly loved having babies. You know, I think that is something um, 
that being a woman has just been, I loved being pregnant. I loved giving birth. I found that to be some of the most empowering moments of my life. I think having my husband by my side when our kids were all born gave him a new appreciation for pregnancy and everything because he's been an absolutely terrific father to our kids. Um, I, I've loved, I don't know, I just really, I'm glad I'm a woman. I'm glad I was the oldest in my family. My mother raised me to pretty much, you know, do what I wanted to do. My father would have loved to have all of us just stay around and not go anywhere, but my mom really encouraged us to go out and seek what we wanted to do and everything. And, um, you know, periods and all, I just loved being a woman. I'm glad that's how I was born, and um, I've loved everything that I've done, but it's because I just went and did it. I didn't feel any restraint. I grew mm -hmm. up in a family that just was like, if you want it, go after it. Go get it. Mm -hmm. You want to do it? Go do it. I remember one time sitting at the table, and my father said to me, well, you better get a job where you can pay for yourself because I think he made some comment about maybe I was being very ornery or something that, you know, I would never get married or anything. And there was a time in my life I never thought I would get married. And I was like, you know what? I'm okay with that. I have a job. I have a house. I have a dog. I'm traveling. There's no restrictions on me. And if somebody comes along, that's great. And if not, then I'm chosen this pathway, and I will be fine with it. Um, and I... You know, right after that, I was like, yeah, I like this. This is good, is when I met is my that husband. What right, that's <laughs> yeah. when I met my husband. And it's like, oh, okay, going to change this now. But, you know, we, uh, have, we live on a dirt road, a mile back on a dirt road. We've chosen to do that. Um, we garden some, and we're, we um, are, you know, have solar. We're trying to do everything we wanted to do many, many years ago and kind of get back to the land and do stuff. And mm -hmm. now the kids are gone. Hopefully we're going to get to travel more and maybe take some of our stuff overseas and do some volunteer work or so. Oh, that's nice. That's amazing. Yeah. So now, you you know, you've painted a pretty rosy picture of all the things that you love about being a woman, but are there things that you don't like? What are your least favorite parts? Well, I think sometimes when there are men, right now I'm doing some legislative work, mm -hmm. and I'm like... You've got to be kidding me. You know, who do you think you're talking to? Um, and unfortunately, sometimes I see stuff in legislatures. I need, we need more women to be in the legislature. It's been old white men who, given, who have gone on to have old, young white men who feel that they can control women or so. And it's like, no way, Jose, it's not happening. Um, and so sometimes it's very difficult. It's like, okay, I'm just going to walk away from this dude because he doesn't get it, and I'm not even going to deal with him. I'm going to see how I can, instead coming frontal, make a rear-end attack and get around him and just get what I want without getting mm -hmm. him involved. I so like that it's tactic. using our, like you it. know, our wily little traits to get around <laughs> what we don't like. Um, and I still see that in the legislature. And let's face it, we see it in our government right now. Um, especially with a president who I don't think really values women. And I think we as women need to come out and say, no, we're not going to take this anymore. And it, it burns my butt when I see men um, make comments about the Me Too movement. It's just like, 
you have no idea. What if it was your daughter? And I think that's what it's going to take, mm-hmm. is when men have had daughters or their wives or their girlfriends, and they have had some of these issues, they need to come out and they need to speak that we need to have equal rights and this kind of behavior cannot be tolerated anymore. And I am really glad to see all this stuff coming out. And But it hurts me to see folks kind of belittle those women who have come out. Mm-hmm. You know, there is some of it, it's like, yeah, it's a two-way street. What did she think if you were going there? So there is part of me that's like, women, wake up. My mother always used to say, don't tease the animals. And I was like, what does she mean by that? And it would be like, no, you have got to make sure that you never put yourself in a compromising position, that you need to take control, and that you should never put yourself in a position where you're going to be with somebody that you honestly don't know. So there has to be some women taking charge of this also, like, why would you go visit a man in his hotel room? You know, you just, you need to think twice about this and it shouldn't happen. You know, maybe there's a lot of things that maybe can go right, but there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Women need to be more in control and they shouldn't feel that in order to get somewhere in life, these are the things they have to do. It's like, no, you need to, you need to be along other strong women who are like, no, you need to do this. It's not easy sometimes. You know, so there are some women who just will never understand you, why you would want to do this. And that's actually probably one of the other things. I wish women would stop throwing barbs at each other. Mm -hmm. It's like, you know, so you choose to be a mother or you don't choose to be a mother. That's your decision, and that shouldn't be held against you. Yet, on the other hand, if you choose to be a woman who stays at home and raise a family, that should be valued too. We, We as women need to stop going after each other. We need to grow up, get our acts together, and embrace women for all the choices they have because we should have those choices and not denigrate them or say, oh, why didn't she do this? Some women opt to do that, and it's okay. If they are loving doing this, then who are we to say that they've deprived themselves of anything? You have no right to say that. You should just go live your own life Mm -hmm. and accept that and just go forward Mm -hmm. and let other people live their lives. So I think sometimes women are their own worst enemies, and we attend to be catty, and we need to get over that mm-hmm. and grow up and get on with it and work together <laughs> and let everybody do what they want to do and accept that. Mm-hmm. Do you think some of that is, like, human nature or just, like, comes naturally? Um, not even just in women, but in men, too. I think you see some of it more in women, and mm-hmm. you always see about the mommy wars. It's like, let's get over the yeah. mommy wars. You know, be whatever you want and accept the other woman Mm -hmm. for who she is and just get over it and move on. Yeah, there isn't one way to live a life. There is not one way to live a life. You choose your life and you do whatever you Mm -hmm. want. And if you have regrets, then those are your regrets. They shouldn't Mm -hmm. be anybody else's. And if you want to make a change, then you need to go make that change. Go back to school. Change a career. You know, the world probably will not come to an end. There are some women who don't have all those options, and we need to be able to help those women to get options, to be able to do something. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what issue that affects women are you most passionate about? Choosing how they have a baby and who they can have their baby with Mm -hmm. and that they control their own health care. No 
man should tell me what I can or cannot do with my body. Period. Say it again for the people in the back. There is nobody <laughs> that should tell me how I should control my life or what I should or should not do with my own body. It is nobody else's business, and we need to get over that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why I become a midwife. I love working with women. I love seeing them every day, and I love just having women grow into the strong women that we all should be. Excellent. Because we all have it in us. We just have to have somebody help us pull it out. Mm -hmm. Definitely. And I had a mother who pulled it out, and I had some strong nuns at Holy Angels Academy that just really, you know, said, go for it. Do it. You can do this. So So, my next question was going to be, which women do you most admire? But it sounds like you. I have to admire my mother. She was one woman. I mean, she worked nights so she could stay home with us during the day when we were in school. She and my father had equal jobs. They both brought in paychecks. In fact, she would tell you and my father would have said the same thing. She made more money than my father did. But they all put it in to giving us a good life and doing the best they could with us. We might not have traveled a lot when we were growing up, but we had lots of family, lots of holidays, and I just loved growing up in Buffalo and having the family that we had. You know, it was really rooted in a lot of our roots, which were Polish and Irish, and we had all the family around. And let's face it, we're doing this in your basement right now because we all came for a family reunion, and it's so great to, you know, have all these folks and now see other generations coming about and, like, come visit me and I'll come visit you and keep these roots strong. Mm -hmm. I mean, when I think about two people who came on a boat from Poland, where we are now and all the different folks that we've assimilated into our family it's just amazing Mm -hmm. totally amazing so I mean and I have to say your mother is one of the most influential women that has been in my life as well Mm -hmm. Um, she's just like a true she was a true matriarch of our family yeah and you know she was at ours and she and my father were really equal footing and that's what we grew up with and she is probably the biggest influence in my life. So, Well, why don't we dedicate this episode to her? Well, we can dedicate this episode to Dorothy Barbara Lishka Sullivan, definitely. <laughs> One true great woman. Yes. And I think that that might be a great place to end the episode with well, that dedication. Thank you for interviewing me. I love to talk and tell a story, and I hope that, um, you know, um, if I can be of any help to anybody, that uh, they'll call or get in touch or whatever. Oh, absolutely. Why don't you tell my guests where they can find you at the birthing center? Well, I work at Women's Birth and Wellness Center, 930 Airport Road, or excuse me, Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard in Chapel Hill, North Carolina. And you can reach me there. And my email is maureen at ncbirthcenter.org. And if you're thinking of going into midwifery or just having questions about um, midwifery care, please don't hesitate to write. All right. Well, thank you so much, Maureen. This is great. All right. Womankind listeners, if you're looking to get in touch, you can find me on Facebook or Instagram at Womankind Podcast or email me at womankindpodcast at gmail.com or visit my website at www.womankindpodcast.com. Bye, friends.